0: I love the fact that you take a secondary product, pork shoulder, jowl, whatever it might be, and turn that into a premium product. Like if, you know, but I like the fact of you buy a product at $7, $9, and then you can put a skill to it and you can sell it for $39. I like that. You're paying for the skill.
1: This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. After learning the craft of soft charcuterie in kitchens in England and Australia, Robbie Bell hung up his chefing apron and began a career as a charcutier. Together with his wife, he's created one of Australia's most successful brands by utilizing chefs in the production kitchen and creating connections across the country. Robbie, how do you go from operating at such a high level as a chef and move in the direction of charcuterie?
0: Well, it's it's funny what a baby will do to you, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's look, it's charcuterie and tureens and pate, more the quicker charcuterie as opposed to the fermenting long style fats. Charcuterie is what we do. Uh, and it's something that I've, in, in Europe and in the, in the restaurants in England that we've done for a lot of years. I, I worked for a chef called Terry Laybourne and he was massive into using up all the bits and bobs and putting the a terrine on the, on the lunch menu or, you know, on the TDH back in them days and things. And just using all the bits and bobs up and making money. So I was always interested in it. A lot of chefs are. You probably find you know it's very crafty you know it's very um skill based turning uh, a secondary product into a premium product it's a, it's you know it's more chefs really enjoy doing that thing so you know it was some of that i always loved and then we had a baby and uh i did a few business plans to boil it up a little bit and and decided that this was this was an opportunity for a business and that's how we got to where we are now basically
1: Making the step and the leap is one thing, and having a bit of that background, but um, what was it like with the product development? Was there a lot of um, errors and mistakes before you made the leap?
0: Well, <clears throat> I was actually quite lucky because i've I've had a lot of recipes over the years, you know I've picked up heaps of recipes uh friends that have worked in different places you know the recipes from terry labour and a lot of the recipes around europe that a lot of the chefs use the same pate recipes and whatnot they get passed from kitchen to kitchen so i always had that base but to be honest it all started when i was working at rockpool and i um as as we're talking about development i was doing it was at christmas and i was making uh hampers for the staff for christmas for the guys who worked over christmas and um and, I, and we did that, and all the staff collected them on the um, on Christmas Eve. And then, as we come back Boxing Day and the twenty eighth, seventh, twenty eighth, twenty ninth, people were saying, "Oh, they were fantastic! Uh, you should start making them." So I kind of and, and it was it was Amy actually that actually said that to me. Uh, she, I think she now works at Point Leo, and she was like, "You should start making them." And I thought, well, you know, and that's how it kind of developed into a business. And I guess that was the uh, instant feedback that I needed, really.
1: Well, let's go back uh, and have a look at how you first got interested in food. What what sort of role did food play in your family as a kid?
0: Like, we, I'm very much a, from a family who, you know, a hot meal was always on the table every night, five o'clock. Then dad would come home, mum would have cooked in throughout the throughout the day. You know, it would be like, you know, mashed potato, liver, liver and onions would be one. But my mum used to put me, used to cook me sausages in the liver and onion gravy because I didn't like liver. Especially not boiled liver in gravy and water. So I don't know what it was, but yeah, but it was always that. You know, homemade lasagnas and homemade curries. But the biggest influence was probably my grandmother. She was a old school. Always had a pinny on. You know, she would be making quiches, corned beef slices, uh, ham, ham, uh, like ham, ham and egg pies. She would be plucking pigeons. You know, someone would drop off salmon off. I've, I've got two, two of my family members are actually used to work on the trawlers, so on the boats, on the trawler ships. And um, so, like, you know, there'd be fish getting dropped off all the time. And so she was a big, she was all fairy cakes, just everything, you know what I mean? Like, as grandmothers used to do, and it wouldn't be in the fridge, you'd just go outside in the, back in the day, there would be, like, where the outhouse used to be, where the bathrooms and that used to be. But over the, over the time they the kind of read the bricked over that so you used to open the back door and then there'd be like an alleyway and then the toilet would be there but then the brick that over as you know as times went on and that's where she used to keep all the all the all the pastries and the combi slices and all these kind of things just on the just on a bench there like outside never went in the fridge and I've got maybe I think I've got like 18 or I might even have over 20 cousins now and um so, yeah, there'd be people coming in and out the door. would be just slamming, opening, shutting, opening, shutting. People would be grabbing mince pies and pork pies. And it was that kind of house, do you know what I mean? It was. So I was always around that. And um, and I was an only child. So from having a lot of cousins, excuse me, from having a lot of cousins, I used to spend a lot of time there, heaps and heaps of time there. So I was always around my Nana baking, making pastries, spreading it, pressing it with your fingers. And, and then she taught me how to make uh, toffee. So it was like I've got it, I've still got the recipe there. Nana's toffee. So and then I learned that you could make toffee. And then and then once I learned how to make it, I was like, oh, then I could start selling it. So then I started selling toffee at school. So then that the, the, then the the then the 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 marriage between making something and selling something was. And I was like, oh, so you can make you can buy this sugar, turn it into toffee, and then sell it to someone, and they'll give you more money than you paid for it. I was like, this is a great idea. So then I started doing that, and then that's how it all developed basically.
1: But tell us about your apprenticeship when you were young. You worked at um, Michelin Star restaurants in the UK. What, what were those kitchens like and what impact did they have on you?
0: Look, I, to be honest, I, I, I only actually worked – well, I, I staged a, a few Michelin Star restaurants. I only actually worked at the Village Bistro in Jersey, which was a one-star, but I worked for a few chefs who have had stars. So, like, Terry Labon had a star for 20-odd years. When I worked for him, he'd give it up, and then we'd try to win another one at the hotel, but we never achieved that, unfortunately. And um, I worked for Paul Heathcote. Who also had two styles, but I worked at his, um, his his more of his brasserie style. Uh, but the kitchens were great. Like I love that. I love I love direct information. You know, being told exactly where, know where you stand. Uh, you know, if you're doing something wrong, I want that instant feedback. I don't need someone to, to to give me any fluff. I'm 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 more than happy to be told that that isn't right, and I need it better next time. And that really worked for me. That that, that really, I'm I'm very uh, I, I I perform better in that environment, if you like.
1: You mentioned that it was in those days that you started learning the art of shakuhachi. Um, tell us about some of the lessons that you learnt in those days.
0: Well, obviously, you know, definitely with Terry and and with Paul Heathcote as well. You know. They're the, the old school training, you know, so, you know, they worked in old, old fashioned kitchens and they, they, they teach you the fundamentals, you know, the temperature, the cut, the best ones to use, using jowl over back fat, you know, using fresh blood over dry blood, talking about black pudding and things um different cuts to use you know the more fatty cuts the, the fat levels take away the, trim it back at, and then so you know you're putting you know lean shoulder but then put the fat back on top so you know you're getting the exact percentage just these kind of things you know like obviously temperature um emulsifications all these kind of things that you need to know to to get it right and obviously the, these kind of uh products Excuse me, these kind of products you need to make sure that every step is done correctly. If you miss a step and it doesn't get right it, the end product it's game over and it's there's no way of pulling it back everything you know from the the weighing out of the the weighing out of the spices and the you know and the nitrate and these kind of things and the, and the 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 mincing of the, the mincing of the, the meat, not overworking it on the mixer, making sure that, like I say, the temperature's all right. To make sure that you're not getting any air when you're putting it into it. Make sure you wrap it nice and tightly. Making sure it goes in the oven at the right temperature and the core temperature is the right thing. Resting it long enough. Pressing it. You know, there's so many stages along the way that just to focus on each stage and get each stage right.
1: You also worked with uh, Heston Blumenthal. What, what was that experience like?
0: So that was a stage. So I, yeah, I, I worked there for six weeks um, as a, I think, was, oh, maybe eight weeks, eight weeks as a stage. I was working at Rockpool in Sydney. They come over to do a dinner and um, and I just, you know, I just blatantly asked him, you know, shy bands getting out. I don't know if you're aware of that saying, but shy babies get nothing. So, yeah, I am. Um, I just said, can, can we just get a, can, any chance of a stage and jockeying and that were there? And he said, yeah, yeah, definitely come over. So I, had a, I was going home anyway. And um, I just went and did six weeks. And actually, my wife, Rebecca, who's my business partner, she was the first ever front of house stage there. She did the front of house stage as well at the same time. And um, yeah, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. It was a, a massive eye opening, you know, a massive eye opening. It was. The, the attention to detail, the, the 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 focus on each job, the 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 consistency. That's a, I took a lot away about consistency. Never mind, just like it doesn't have to be the best product. So for instance, they got this this salmon, and they said that this isn't the best salmon in the in the world, right? It's not the best salmon in the world, but it's the most consistent salmon in the world. Like the best salmon in the world, you can only get for seven months of the year. What we're going to do for the rest of the year, and then the standard drops. Do you see what I'm saying? So you're better off getting not the best, but the most consistent. And that 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 really stuck with me, that kind of I was like, oh right, that makes sense. Especially when you're when you're not moving products around, you know, the fact Doug will set a menu and it'll be maybe be like that for a, a a period of time, maybe a year, maybe two years. They might change a few things here and there. And it's the same with us in the sense of, you know, we make we make a product for retail. It's not, you know, it's not going to change for the next. Well, it hasn't changed in seven years. So you've got to get make sure you get the most consistent product.
1: Tell us about how important the pig is for charcuterie. Um, What What do you want from a pig to make the best products?
0: Okay. Obviously, we want, you can really tell the difference, first of all. You can really tell that there's free range stuff. And there's levels to everything, levels to everything. So, you know, you you can get, you know, bread free range. You can get um, RSCP, RS, RS, what is it, RSCPA, is that right? RSCPA uh, approved. You can get a proper free range. But then you get, you know, then you can get real high-end free range, like Bundara batcher and stuff. Just, her stuff's free range, but it's a lot different to the, just a free range pig, do you know what I mean so again we're trying to find a consistent product um within the market and it, it it's all about you know the color the texture uh the the quality of fat, so the fat's got a good quality of fat like uh in the sense of the feel of it it's not fluffy like i don't know if you know what i, mean. I can't explain it like it's a it's got, it's like a creamy fat it's not like a a fluffy fat if that makes sense like uh yeah like a lazy fat if you like it's a worked fat do you know what i'm saying like it's a fat where it's moved around and it's created this you know it's nice and creamy um yeah not not uh, yeah i guess that's about that's what that's what we're always looking for firmness not too wet um yeah that's kind of that's kind of what we're looking for
1: do you have any stories of um being on on a pig farm and seeing um, your product before it comes to
0: to be honest we i haven't i haven't not not from the pork that we use we 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 use um a, a, a which a lot of the people use it's it's probably it's a really really good free range uh high volume pork but for, uh, for pig fans I, I refer back to um Lauren at Bundara Berkshire. we i actually went and stayed on her farm at the um on the meat on the meat uh have you you ever been there it's like a it's a I think it's an old meat truck that used to be on the railway lines or something like that like an old meat carriage she has one of them on a farm and you can go and stay there and yeah we went up there with Monty my son and my wife and hung out at the farm and it's it's a a cracking spot and seen the pigs and yeah it's awesome They're, they're amazing things they're so smart and yeah, beautiful. And actually, they were. Do you say littering? I don't even know if that's littering. Is that what they say? I think you might say that. They, they were. they were having babies. Put it that way. At the time, and um, yeah, and I've seen the work that goes in in there, and they were up through the night and moving, moving them around, and it's not an easy job. That is for sure.
1: What led to the move to Australia for you?
0: Um, I was actually meant to be going to Canada. So, and then it all fell through last minute. And um, a friend of mine, Tom Anglesey, was working at Rockpool on George. And um, he said, Why don't you just come out here in, instead? So we we, we kind of turned on our heels and decided to go, what is it, east instead of west? Is that right? I, think, I hope that's right. I make myself look stupid. But yeah, we decided to go east. And uh, and yeah, and we, we come along and. And it was just amazing. And then I actually went back home for a year. I was like, you know, Rockpool offered to sponsor me after I spent a bit of time here. And I went home and uh, I was like six months in. I was like, oh, that wasn't a very smart decision. You know, like I was like, how am I going to get back? And I got back in touch with Rockpool and um, and said, you know, that offer you said about me coming, it's, it's getting sponsoring me. They were Like uh, yeah, I said is there any chance of me taking you up on that? Like six months later, and luckily enough, they were they were kind enough to do that. So yeah, I was uh, it was it was by luck, but you know, I guess you make your own luck. And it was it, it, what a, what a choice it was to come here.
1: You spent time uh, in Key as well as part of the opening, uh, and part of the opening team for Rockpool Bar and Grill in Sydney. Um, tell us about the experiences of those restaurants and what impact they had on you.
0: Well, they were very different. They were very, very different. You know, at Key, it's incredibly um, refined. And obviously, at Barren Grill, it's, it's, a, it's a steakhouse. It's an Australian-style steakhouse. But, yeah, Key was a very – it was amazing. Um, yeah, the team at that point was incredible. I'd never worked with uh, so many amazing people in, in one under one in one in kitchen. There was just – yeah, the list's endless, you know. Uh, Rob, who was now at Ben Long. There was Sam, who went on to do White. Grass, there was Carl who went on who up to Byron, you know, Carl, the, the Hawaiian Japanese, Carl Katachine, I can't remember his surname. There was Terry who then went on to work at Scipia. There was Annalise who then's gone on to do what she's going to do. There was just so many people in that kitchen at that time. Um, it was, a, yeah, so that was fantastic. And obviously, that style of food was completely different to anything I've ever done, right? Like, I I'd come here and I I didn't know what Abalone was I didn't have a clue what Abalone was I didn't know uh you know all the the, the lobsters were completely different they were like more like yeah they were different to what I was used to I mean I'm used to the big uh, claws on the front like the European style lobsters and there was tanks in the kitchen I was like what the fuck's going on here like it was yeah like like and then there was, we used to keep the mud crabs in the office i'm like what the heck is going on it was like it was mad it was a mad place, yeah but and it was so big you know they were doing big numbers and they were doing they had the function room and it was yeah it was just a completely different environment it was it was a fantastic uh it was a great learning experience and i, I thoroughly enjoyed it I thoroughly enjoyed it there um and then the, the, the difference between that and then bar and grill was you know very product driven, you know, great meat, great seafood, but very cut back, as everyone knows what rock pools like, you know, it's you know, simply seasoned olive oil, lemon juice, uh high acidity food, real you know, looks great, but you can almost throw it together and it looks fantastic, you know, solid recipes um yeah and that was a brand new opening in one of the best buildings in in australia in my opinion is a a dining room and you know it was you're there from a lad from the northeast of england in sydney one minute you prep you're plating up and every time the door swings open you can see the opera house and the next thing you're in a an old is it a bank or what it looks like if it's not a bank it should have been a bank i don't know whatever and uh you know and you're doing dinners with heston and you're doing dinners with uh, Thomas Keller and all these guys. And I was like, "What? There? It, yeah, it was a it was a big jump. It was fantastic. It was it, it really uh, really up my eyes."
1: You made the move to Melbourne to work at the Rockwell Bar and Grill there, and they're known for their incredible connection with uh, producers and quality products and a, an incredible meat program. What what's some of the the pork dishes that you had on the menu at the time that you were there?
0: The por- Oh, we used to do this. The one with the. Uh, well, but we did them all of them as well. I think like the, the the suckling the suckling pig with the with the mustard fruit and the balsamic. That was that was a lovely dish. And you would get like a different cut all the time. So you you do the whole animal, and then you do give two different bits of pre, a primary and a secondary. Um, we used to do some. What else did we do with the pork? It was um. But just moving away from there, just really quickly from Rockpool. Oh well, obviously at Key there was the pork belly with the abalone. That was obviously a, a, a famous pork belly dish that, that they used to do at Key. Uh, that was that was amazing as well. And I guess the and then the one like I said, there, the suckling pig. We used to do at uh, at Rockpool, but some of the other ones that I've done, you know, the black pudding that we used to do at Heathcourt. That's an absolute classic. Uh, Heathcote's dish, the black pudding with the grilled tomato and the poached egg. That that was an amazing, we used to sell literally hundreds and hundreds of them. Very sweet. It's made with a, um, with a reduction, you know, sugar and vinegar reduction, uh, sultanas and different spices through it. It's a beautiful black pudding. And then when I worked for Terry, we used to do like a lot of pork dishes, a lot of things three ways or whatever. And we used to do like a piece of belly and then maybe a chop. And then we used to like get these, you know, the apples that are in kids' pack lunches, like baby apples. You know the ones I mean, they're small apples. And we used to core them out, and then we fill that with a farce, and we used to bake the whole apple with the farce running through the middle of the apple. And we used to serve that as a garnish and different, you know, move it, move the, move the elements around. It was all, yeah, that was awesome. That was, that was. That was um, there's been many, many dishes, many pork dishes.
1: You started City Larder quite a few years ago now, and it's um, available all over the country. Its a success is incredible. What's some of the key products um, that have been the foundation for that success?
0: Definitely the pork. The, the, here we go, pork, but the, uh, the the pork and pistachio, the free range pork and pistachio terrine. It's super clean. It's super approachable. Kids can enjoy it. It's not overly gamey. Um, it's not overly spiced. It does definitely rely on the pork uh, being, you know, being the best quality you can get. Uh, a real subtle, subtle f- spice. A real subtle spice, but definitely like the the nice sweetness of the meat, and um with the iron, you know, the gaminess of the the liver, but all balanced out, really approachably, If that makes approachable, if that's even a word, but it makes it very easy for people to enjoy. So that's definitely one of the big, the big sellers. And then the chicken liver pate is is definitely is the seller. And we weren't even going to make a chicken liver pate to be honest. It was Rebecca be that said that we should do one. I said, you know, there's so many out there. Why would we do a chicken liver pate? And um, and she was like, well, let's just make the best one. So that's what we went out to try and achieve. And you know, in my opinion, that's what we've done
1: a lot of your products whether it's a riette or a terrine or a paté made in traditional european restaurants was but how different is your setup compared to say a commercial kitchen what what's the crew like there and what's the um, mode of operation compared to a commercial kitchen.
0: Yeah, well, look. To be honest, we all our people that work for us, are chefs they've all worked. I'm going to say like 95% of them have worked at Rockpool at some point or another. We've got, you know, we've got Zach who was a, who was the head chef at Rockpool. We've got Chris B. who used to be the head chef at Rockpool. We've got, you know, James was a sous chef with Zach uh, at Rockpool. Dickie was at Spice Temple. Yoshi was in the fish room at Rockpool. So, we've, t- you know, we've got a lot of, we've, I think we've only got maybe two or three staff that haven't actually worked at Rockpool at some point in their career. Um, so it's very it's very much similar. And I, and I, I really believe in that philosophy. That it, I then I mean, this is just the truth. Our, our strategy for recruitment is trying to get people who are maybe a little bit over the industry, maybe the partners, uh, maybe uh, work Monday to Friday. Maybe they've got children and they don't want to work nights. Um, you know, there's many, many elements that, that prevent people from wanting to keep working weekends and night shifts and these kind of things. So that's what we try and do. We try and get them guys. So to answer the question, the actual mentality of the kitchen is very, very similar. You know, it's still, it's still because it's all chefs. And we don't just have like workers, if you like, inverted commas. It's not, um, it's not like a, like a, a big production. It's all you know. We have a lot of people. who are thinking about what they're doing, and that's what creates the consistency. And, and and obviously, food things change. You know, the onions might be a little bit wetter this, you know, because they've been stored differently or whatever it might be. But we have the people there to be able to react to these situations. Um, but all that said what we do is because we focus on a f- few products you can really st- you know streamline what you're doing and you can make it incredibly efficient like terrines and and, and pate and things that are pretty awkward to make in kitchens right like there's a lot of processes uh like we split the jobs over a few days you know we might prep the meat one day spices another day onion mushroom bases another day and then p- bring it all together on a specific day if that makes sense where obviously if you're doing service and it just turned out to be a bit of an arse. If you don't have someone on the larder, we would call it on the larder back home, um, running, running that section, who's bringing all that together, uh, it, it kind of makes it quite different. So I guess the difference is, is how streamlined we can make
1: things. City Larder has had incredible success. But what, what, give us a sense of, of what the growth has been like. How big is the company now? And, and what's the growth experience been like for you?
0: Over 100% year on year at the moment. So year on year, every year over 100%, 110%, 115% every year, year on year. And that's just the reality of it. So we've gone from we've gone from a higher share in a kitchen, so in like CBD kitchen or my other kitchen where we pay by the hour, to we're just about to move into 100, 100, uh, 1100 square meter, all singing, all dancing factory in seven years, you know? From me and my wife doing it, from me doing it, my wife doing the deliveries with my son in the car and an Eski in the boot, to I think we're nearly at 20 staff now, you know? Yeah, so it's, you know, it's big, it's big growth. But that, you know, that, and the only way you can do that is with a team. That's it. There's no other way. You, without a, without a team, you've only got an idea, and that's just, and that's one of the biggest things I've learned. You know, and probably Khan from Rockpool was, the, was probably the main one that taught me that that you've got to look after the team. The team is what will be be able allow you to create what your what your vision is. Right? Do you know what I mean? So it's all about the team. We have an, an amazing team, absolutely an amazing team that we really love, respect, and and we couldn't do enough for you know.
1: What are you most proud of uh, of the journey of City Lada so far?
0: Um, like? um probably Rebecca. Rebecca's done an amazing job. Absolutely amazing, amazing job. My wife Rebecca, she runs the operations. Uh without her, there's absolutely no two ways about it. Without her, the whole it doesn't it doesn't run. Like it just doesn't. Like, you know, I we can I can create everything, no problem. That and that would all still happen. But, like, the way that her attention to detail, to replying to emails, to, you know, just everything, you know, she's really on the ball. Like, I always say we've got the best. Like, I'm not – everyone's like, oh, yeah, I'm telling you, we've, we've got the best in that position. There's no one better out there, in my in my opinion, and I genuinely mean it, there's no one better out there.
1: What's next for you? I know you've had uh, year-on-year growth and you've got the new facility. What's, what's the plans for City Lada moving forward?
0: Well, we've got the distribution as well, so we're growing the distribution. So, like you know, we, we we're taking on new brands. You know, the reason one, the biggest reason why we took that on, I, I, I before, before COVID, we had it, we had it planned, and um, I just really feel like there's that gap in the market for chefs bringing products to market, if that makes sense. Um, like it's just you know it's blatant that 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 should happen. Like the the days of just having a restaurant with a front door. And expecting that your only revenue stream is is archaic in my opinion, right? Like you know, you, you've got people who who can start, who can do books, and you might get some people who do TV deals, and you might get people with big Instagram following that might do a bit of you know a bit of stuff on the side. But you need, to, in my opinion, you need to be building something that, that like a product that you can bring to market, and it, it, you know you it's something that you could sell potentially in the future, something that that can work while you're not work. That you don't have to work on it. Do you know what I mean? It, it just has to work on the brand, um, and I feel like there's a big gap in the market there. So we're there to take on chefs' products. So like you know, we've got LP quality meat sausages, and you know, different people, different chefs who are coming on board. That we're going to try and sell their products for them. Uh, you know, and I, I just think yeah. So we, that's one side of the business that we grow. That we're trying to grow. Obviously, we've got the new facility. I wouldn't, I would like to get into export if I'm honest. I think there's a lot of business to be done in, in the Middle East. I think there's business to be done in Singapore. Uh, yeah, all I think there's, there's, there's heaps of business. You know, if you look around, the, there's not, there's so many IGAs, independent butchers, independent food stores, and then obviously we've got the food service thing. So, with the shortage of chefs and, and, um, and the way that the training and, the, and the, the, the the price of staff and things, I think there's an element of business there that can be that can be got with taking the pressure off the kitchen. So like cook pork belly, cook duck legs, uh braised things. I think there's a there's business there for people. And for other people to make dressings and you know, fabrica, now we're doing pasta. We we support for Fabrica in Victoria which is part of the Regrapti group in Sydney. So they've got like a pasta that's out. It's it's amazing pasta sauce. So in the one packet, you get the pasta and the sauce for two. It's an amazing product. The pasta is fantastic. Now they're bringing, they've just brought a, a ready to go, like a fresh pasta, for the food service market. So then, you know, I think there's big growth in them, them areas that high level products made by chefs who are vo- who are just focusing on what they do best so they can get the best price for the flour, the best price for the eggs. The, you know, they can put the labor, bring the labor costs down because all the focusing in on that or they can buy the piece of equipment. A, a big price to pay, create the pasta quickly, efficiently, and then ship it out. And then basically you can make a pasta that's as good as you can make in a restaurant or a terrine that's as good as you can make in a restaurant for the same price.
1: You've made an incredible shift from um, a top-level chef to award-winning What What is it that you love about what you do?
0: I, the, I love the fact that you take a secondary product, you know, chicken livers, Pork shoulder, back fat, jowl, whatever it might be, and turn that into a premium product. Like if you know that that's the that's the thing. And and I love and you know people sometimes I've said this a few times and so it puts people's nose out. But I like the fact of you buy a product at you know whatever it might be at seven dollars, nine dollars, eleven dollars, and then you can put a skill to it and you can sell it for thirty nine dollars. I like that. I think that you know you're paying for the skill. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, we can all, uh, this is probably a shit, a shit example, but, you know, a lawyer or whatever, right? Like, he, we can all read, well, not all of us, I can't, but a lot of people can. Everyone can read and, 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 and sign the name, right? Do you know what I mean? But the skill in the lawyer or, or the solicitor or whatever is reading it and having the information to to do what they've got to do to it to sign it off. And it's the same thing. You've got to pay for that you pay for that skill. And that's what I I love that. I love the fact that we're putting a skill to something and creating something better out of that product, if that makes sense.
1: Well, Robbie, it makes complete sense. And we've loved having you on the crackling today to hear just a bit of your story. Um, Good luck with City Larder. It's um, been an incredible addition to our food scene. Uh, please keep in touch, and we'll catch up again soon.
0: I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. It's, yeah, it's been, uh, been an been honour. I've been I've been waiting to talk to you for a while. Actually, I was waiting for the call. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I appreciate. No, I do. I appreciate the time. And yeah, uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to to tell you a little bit about us.
1: This is the Crackling. A Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Pork Star. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.